we continue worshiping together today, siblings, I invite you to turn in your Bibles or Bible apps to the Gospel according to Matthew, the 22nd chapter, beginning in the 34th verse. Let us receive together the Word of God. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and the first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them this question. What do you think of the Messiah? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. He said to them, how is it then that David by the spirit calls him Lord, saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If David thus calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No one was able to give him an answer nor from that day did anyone dare ask him any more questions. Receive what the Spirit is saying. Thanks be to God. Friends, will you pray with me? Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on your people scattered yet connected through your love. And may your word go forth because or in spite of me. In the power of Jesus, I pray it, amen. Enough of this tiptoeing around the fire. This word I received in prayer a few months ago has been a struggle to understand. What is the fire and why am I tiptoeing? Upon reflection, it's become pretty clear that these are the words of Christ calling me out for my reluctance to step more fully into the fire of God's all-consuming love a love that asks me to trust God more and to stop wasting energy on pointless striving. After 50 and I dare say almost 51 years of living and trying so hard to love God and neighbor, it's a bit of a drag to get tagged by spirit as a tiptoer but there it is. Love demands much and always more of us. Not more production or perfection, whatever we imagine that might be, but more of our true, honest, vulnerable selves, more of our willingness 
to surrender to God's passionate and tender love for us. God seeks to draw us into the divine fire, not for our own sakes alone, though certainly that's part of it. God wants us to be fully alive, but God also draws us into the divine fire because as we live more fully in the love of God, we live more intentionally and more generously with and for others. Some words of G.K. Chesterton come to mind as I name this. He said, Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. Now, there may be those who would push back on that statement of Chesterton. After all, the heart of Christianity is love. How is that so hard? Just love. Right. Right? Okay. Just love. Easy. Because love is always straightforward. The loving thing to do is always clear. Because loving ourselves in a healthy way comes so naturally. So we shouldn't have any problem loving our neighbors the way we love ourselves. And our love never gets tangled up with old baggage or confused with illusions. And of course, loving God in the moment of deepest tragedy and abandonment that's a breeze. Oh, yeah. And the whole loving our enemies thing? A snap. Even a moment's reflection reminds us that love is many things. It's power. It's passion. It's energy the very source of life and of meaning. It may even be, at a certain level, simple. But easy, it is not. The love that we are about in the context of our faith is not easy. It's not found in empty words or in good intentions or in paper hearts. Our aim is the kind of love embodied, enacted, lived by Jesus. It is an all-in kind of love, heart, soul, mind, and strength. But so often in church circles, love gets watered down into such thin soup that the hungry remain hungry. Even after the church thinks they've been busy feeding. 
I keep going back to some lines from Austin Channing Brown's memoir, I'm Still Here, Black Dignity in a World Made for Whiteness, in which she names the ways that love as it is practiced in many Christian circles is so often inconsequential. That word has hit me. Inconsequential love. Particularly speaking of her experience as a black woman in a culture that assumes that white is right, Brown names how easy it is to make love dissolve, quote, into a demand for grace, for niceness, for endless patience, to keep everyone feeling comfortable while hearts are being changed. In this way, she says, so-called love dodges any responsibility for action and waits for the great catalytic moment that finally spurs accountability. She goes on, I'm not interested in love that is aloof, in a love that refuses hard work, instead demanding a bite-sized education that doesn't transform anything, in a love that qualifies the statement Black Lives Matter because it is unconvinced that it's true. I am not interested, she says, in a love that refuses to see systems and structures of injustice, preferring to ask itself only about personal intentions. This aloof kind of love, she says, is useless to me. If, beloveds, if our understanding of love is mostly about keeping a peace that has nothing to do with justice, or a love driven by nostalgia, or tribal, national, or bloodline loyalties, or if our understanding is that love gets parceled out in little bits or is so careful, clutch the pearls, that it makes no impact. Or if it's a love that gives up when things get difficult, if it's any of that, then we are missing the mark. God doesn't say, love me when you feel like it. God doesn't say, love me with your mind alone, thinking godish thoughts and debating the number of angels dancing on the head of a pin. God doesn't say, only love me with your crazy, warm feelings surrounded by nothing and no one that challenges you to stretch yourself. The commandment isn't to love God by checking boxes and doing tasks that satisfy our own sense of accomplishment and self-righteousness. The call is to love with soul, with our deepest wholeness and essence and humanity, that which connects with every other soul, mind, heart, strength, 
soul that connects with every other soul, that which connects us to our neighbor. And we're not called to only love the neighbors with whom we share common history, language, or culture. Now, I assume that many of you know that, but it's important to say it anyway. The commandment doesn't say love your neighbor when it's convenient or when there's no risk involved to you or when it doesn't ask anything of you to love your neighbor. The love at the heart of our faith, the love that God is, the love that Jesus embodied is a love that gives and gives, that risks and becomes as vulnerable as we are, that pursues us, sometimes quietly and other times less so pursues us. This love pursues us until we fall into that divine, all-embracing, all-consuming love and so finally yearn and ultimately learn to not be so self-centered and afraid. The love we're called to is consequential. It's a love that changes the world because it counters the thin quid pro quo transactional ways of love so prevalent all around us. Jesus' love was not aloof. It was incarnate passionate, sacrificial, generous, intimate, patient, gracious. Who did Jesus consider neighbor? Who did Jesus not consider his neighbor? Jesus' love crossed boundaries and tore down walls, really tore them down, didn't just rebrand or post a sign. Jesus' love crossed boundaries and really tore down walls as he created a new kind of human community where persons are invited to let their humanity touch others' humanity, the true Ness of who we are in all our full authenticity. Jesus shows us the all-in love that God lavishes upon us and then beckons us to enter ever more fully into that divine fire and into the life and the community that emerges. Beloved, as Foundry, we're just trying to learn how to love God and love each other like that. Right now, we are experiencing social, 
economic, cultural, political, environmental, spiritual, and relational upheaval, the likes of which haven't been seen in ages, certainly not in our time. And in this time of volatility and possibility, Foundry is being driven by the urgent demands of love. We will not withdraw from the difficult conversations and decisions around racial equity or back down from our commitment to building a fully inclusive church and society that honors the gifts of all, including our beloved LGBTQ siblings. We continue to serve and will continue to serve our struggling neighbors in the community in both direct ways and through mission partnerships to provide IDs and food and safety and shelter. We are going deeper in Bible study. We're not skimming the surface. We have more people who want to spend 36 plus weeks straight in deep Bible study than we have teachers to accommodate them. This is what God is doing and calling us to, beckoning us more deeply into the life of God. We are building larger networks of relationship, not retreating into isolation and closed groups. We are reaching out to connect with our beloved folks who struggle to connect in this current digital environment. And y'all, we are using any and all resources available to proclaim a gospel vision of hope and liberating love in ways that reach our local community and stretch into the far corners of the world through technology. You know, I try to remind us of this every so often. It is easy, perhaps, for us at Foundry to take it for granted. But the truth is that there are so many people who do not know that Beloved is their family name. So many don't know that their lives are precious and powerful and meaningful and cherished. So many are lost in lies they're bound in perversions of what it means to love. They are swallowed up in a culture that tells them that they are nothing unless they have money or a gun or a fancy title or car or home, that they are unlovable, that they are not welcome among God's people unless they fit into the so-called norms of society. So many people have not received the gospel promise, the gospel word. My dearest hope and vision is that together we might create together community that is always becoming more like the truly human community Jesus I believe would be proud of a community where tenderness and beauty are cultivated. 
a community where we are willing to be honest about our lives, about our struggles, our hopes, our ideas, our feelings, perspectives, where we receive one another as people, not as roles or job titles or political advocates or those who are supposed to have it all together, but rather a community where we practice being human with other humans, understanding that we are all on a journey and trying to find our way and together always seeking how we can love our neighbors in consequential ways. Love God, love each other. That's all we're trying to do. In this crucible moment, we have an opportunity to let go of things that get in the way of this larger vision, this emerging, expanding vision. And we have an opportunity in this crucible moment to take up new things that will feed that vision. And there's no map for this moment. There's little precedent and a lot of uncertainty. And all of this may seem overwhelming, ridiculously overwhelming. We've already found ourselves exhausted at every level. I feel that. And when I was feeling it most deeply, the word came, stop tiptoeing around the fire. And in our collective weariness and anxiety, a word has come with extraordinary clarity to us. Foundry, you are called for such a time as this no more tiptoeing around the fire. Love demands much and always more of us. And will give us what we need to step into that space. More is demanded of us in love because, as Martin Luther King Jr. preached, it is through the redemptive power of love that, quote, we will be able to make of this old world a new world. By God's amazing grace and perfect love, May we be set on fire with the kind of love that makes things truly new. May it be so. Amen. <laughs>